Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. You guys know that we're all part of the church. Everybody has a part to play. There isn't like, you know, there isn't any part in the church where a believer just gets to be. Everybody has gifts and callings. We're all supposed to participate in some way. Um, Do you have service? Are you serving the Lord in some way? Um, Do you have faith? Are you believing God? Are you trusting God? Are you believing Him beyond what you can see? Because God said these are commendable things to Him. Are you patient? Are you impatient? When God makes you wait, do you freak out? In today's message, Pastor Bill will remind you that the church isn't solely run by the church staff. Most people might think that the church is owned by a pastor or something like that. The Bible tells us that the pastors are shepherds of the flock. It's their job to help teach and guide followers of Christ. But they don't own the church. The church is the Lord's. Along with pastors, disciples of Jesus are called to help with the running of the church. What areas of your church do you see yourself helping in? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, as he begins his message, The Church of Thyatira. Amen. All right. Well, as we're making our way through the book of Revelation, we are in um, the section that deals with the seven churches. Just to, just to make sure we're getting this, the book of Revelation breaks into three parts. Somebody tell me what those three parts are. All right. Past, present, future. Um, the past is in what chapter? Chapter one. The present is in what chapters? Two and three. And the future is in what chapters? Four to 22. Amen. All right. Good job. Good job. So um, so we're in the section that deals with right now the church age. We've gone through a few churches already. And the these are seven historic churches. These churches actually existed. Um, these letters were written to the leaders, the elders, the pastors of these churches. Um, they, they also represent errors and periods of church history. Um, I believe that there's something we can receive from each letter because even though they're written to that church, then each letter says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says. So there's there's also application as we read through these letters for us to learn. The book of Revelation is is unveiling what to us or who to us, unveiling Jesus Christ to us. So in every study, as we read through these churches, we're looking for and I'll conclude the study answering the question What does this tell me about Jesus? What does this unveil, uncover, or teach me about Jesus? Because every page of this book should be unveiling something of him to us. Amen? As we look at this church, Thyatira, um, the name Thyatira means perpetual sacrifice or continual offering. Um, It is speaking about an actual church. It's the smallest of all the seven churches the least significant of all seven churches. Interesting that it has the longest letter. So the, the, the smallest church with the longest letter um, of all seven churches and the era of church history that this would, would cover or, or deal with is the 600 to 1500, um, which deals with the, the, the system of Roman Catholicism. So um, I will say some things about Roman Catholicism today that if you're, you know, if you you may, it may offend some. It's okay. Um, that's okay. Uh, it, we'll, we'll deal with There's aspects of the Roman Catholic religion and system that are contrary to God's word. And when we come upon those things that are contrary, we'll identify them, we'll lay them out so that we could, um, we could 
we, we can know the difference. And so um, look at chapter 2, verse 18. Everybody got it? All right. It says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And so to this church in this area, Thyatira, the Lord appears to them or he represents himself to them. And he gives us three things. Um, The son of God with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. So when he says the son of God, this is the only time in Revelation where Jesus presents himself. Like he's got to tell them I'm God. The son of God is him identifying himself as deity. He says, I'm coming to you guys as God, number one. He said, I'm also coming to you guys as the one, he who has eyes like a flame of fire. These are the, the all-seeing, all-knowing eyes of God, piercing through everything, seeing beneath the surface, and his feet are like fine brass. Brass is symbolic of what in the scriptures? Of judgment. So from this description, if he's coming to them saying, I'm God, my authority, I see everything, eyes like a flame of fire, and my feet are like brass, judgment. Does this sound like a good church or a bad church? Bad. They're in trouble. Uh, the church of Thyatira, if we were to categorize them, they would be the corrupt church. Last week, we did the, the compromising church. We looked at the persecuted church. We looked at the church that left their first love. Thyatira is the corrupt church. And so Jesus represents himself to them in this way. Um, look, at verse, uh, look at verse 19. It says, I know your works. What he says to all seven churches, um, what he says to you and to me, I know your works. And I told you guys before, the way that that hits you has everything to do with how you're living. If God says, I know your works um, and you're doing good, then it's not a scary thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, a friend of mine used to work for a company that installed security cameras. And on occasion, there'd be companies that would have him come in and they were wanting to surveillance their employees to see what they were doing while on the clock. And I can only imagine, you know, he didn't work for the companies. He just would install the cameras so they can get a report. But imagine working at a job where you're at work. You do a good job because I know y'all go to work. Y'all do a good job. Amen. All right. So you guys, when the boss is not there, you guys are still working hard. Your your co-workers is having extra breaks. They're playing solitaire on the computer. But you are doing a great job. So the boss comes in and says, hey, you guys, for the last month, We've been surveillancing what you're doing while I'm not here. Now, if you've been doing a good job, you're like, yes, now I'm going to get that. About time. They go, you know, I get what I deserve. For you, it would be a great thing, like, because I know I've been doing a good job, right? But if you've been playing solitaire, you've been Christmas shopping on the Internet at work, if, I mean, you're going to be exposed, exposed. And so I know your works impacts, the impact it has has everything to do with how you're doing. Amen. He said it to all seven churches, good churches, bad churches, mediocre churches, to all churches. He says, he says the same thing. I know your works. And we need to know that about God. There isn't anything you do that he doesn't know. He's unaware of good or bad. Hmm. All right. He says, I know your works. Now he begins to list the works. Um, even if it's a bad church. God is able to distinguish if there are good works in a bad church. And so I want to identify the good works because what the good works teach us about Jesus is this. When Jesus says, I commend these things, even though we're getting ready that he's going to have some bad things to say, he's telling you and me, this is what I want the church to be like. 
So when he gives us his commendations, he's saying, this is what I like a church to be. This is what I would like believers to be like. And so look at the things that he says are commendable about this church. Verse 19, I know your works first, love. And this would be like a love that they have for one. They're a loving church. They have love for one another. Um, The second thing on the list is service. They were active in service. As believers, we should serve the Lord. Amen. Um, We shouldn't just we shouldn't get comfortable just being um, we're called to do as well. So they have love. They have service. Third, they have faith. The Bible says in Hebrews that without faith it's impossible to please God. That he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so this church has faith. They're operating in faith, believing God for what they cannot see. And then it says, and your patience. Uh, This church has patience, something that everybody here struggles with. Everybody struggles with having to wait. You know, God says yes, no, and he gives the dreaded wait. I sometimes would rather God say no than wait, because no, at least it's over with. I can move on. But um, this church has patience. They're able to wait on the Lord when they need to. And he says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. So they're increasing in works. They're doing more works now than they were when they first got going. And God says, these are all commendable things. And so we can ask ourselves those questions, right? If God looked at you, you're a member of his church. Would God say that you have love? Are you, are you, does that characterize your life? Would people say that you're a, a loving person? Um, if not, deal with that. That's, that's what we want our character to be like. If you, if you got a harsh character, if you got a cranky spirit, um, if everywhere you go you look like Eeyore um, or whatever, God's and look, you said love should characterize those that are walking in the spirit, fill the spirit. Do you have love? Do you have service? Are you someone that's willing to serve, has a heart of service? Um, is it, you know, for you, is it a big deal that you would put your hand to the plow and do something for the Lord? Um, some believers are consumers only. Some people go to church to get. They don't give, they don't serve, they don't participate. You guys know that we're all part of the church. Everybody has a part to play. There isn't like, you know, there isn't any part in the church where a believer just gets to be. Everybody has gifts and callings. We're all supposed to participate in some way. Um, Do you have service? Are you serving the Lord in some way? Um, Do you have faith? Are you believing God? Are you trusting God? Are you believing him beyond what you can see? Because God said these are commendable things to him. Are you patient? Are you impatient? When God makes you wait, do you freak out? Do you throw tantrums? Um, you know, because patience, here's the, 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 if you think about what patience looks like, everybody has to wait. And if God is, let's say God tells three believers here, I'm going to make y'all wait six months for something that you're praying about. And three different believers could have, that six months could look different on all three believers. One believer for six months could be frantic and crying and trying to figure it out and anxiety and worry and yeah, yeah, it's all they talk about. That's one believer. That's not who you want to be. Um, the other believer, you know, could maybe have, you know, up and down where it's like, I'm trusting God this week. Next week I freak out. I'm back and I'm forth. Then you have another believer over here that just says, I, I don't know what God's doing. I'm just going to commit that to him and be, focus on what I can do. At the end of six months, God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway. But that believer that was patient, they're better off in six months. The, 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 the anxious believer is worse for the wear. Amen. You didn't affect any change. You didn't make anything happen. You didn't affect because you can't because you're waiting on God. So patience will just have you. You'll, you'll wear you'll wear better 
as a believer if you can be patient? Because sometimes God just says, wait. Uh, and I've experienced that in my life. There are things that I wanted God to do yesterday, and God was like, just wait. He, he does everything when he gets ready. I can't do anything to speed God up. Uh, when, I was, when I thought I was ready to marry my wife, um, she didn't even know if she wanted to be my girlfriend yet. She was trying to figure out if I was saved. Um, but, you know, and, and if you ask me at the time, I'm young, I'm 19, I'm living holy, I'm trying to get married now. And uh, it seemed like a long time, but it wasn't that long. I mean, from meeting her to marrying her was a year and a half. From meeting her to convincing her I was saved was seven months, you know, and then we got a, a wedding plan. You know, she, she wasn't sure I was really all the way saved just yet, you know. Um, when God showed me that we were going to plant this church, when God showed me that we would have a church, um, he showed me 10 years before I got to start it. So for 10 years, I was trying this, trying that, you know, this, that, and the other. And God's like, I'm going to do it when I'm going to do it. And nothing you can do to speed it up. I'm working on you right now. So you might as well just sit down and get worked on. So um, patience is important. Then it says works. Am I increasing in works? Am I more valuable to the kingdom now than five years ago? Does God have, am I, am I available to the Lord in a greater way now than I was five, 10 years ago or whenever I first got saved? Do I know him more? Am I better equipped to serve? Am I more fruitful in my service? Am I increasing in service or would I look at my life now and say, man, this ain't nothing, man I'm, not, I'm actually doing less now. And I, I know him better and I do less. Let the Lord speak to you as that would apply. But God gives us commendations on those four things, love, service, faith, patience, and increasing. They were increasing in works. Now, he says this in verse 20, though, first word, nevertheless. What does that mean? That means, but anyway. So to God, he's saying, even though all these things you're doing are commendable, it's irrelevant because of how y'all are living. He's getting ready to go into the sins that they're doing, the things they're not doing right. And this is what we need to understand with the Lord. My service to God is irrelevant if I'm not living for the Lord. God doesn't want my service, my giving, my... He is more concerned with having me than anything I might offer to him in service. Amen? So for some people, they offer service uh, almost like this. I'm not really going to live for the Lord, but I'll, I'll serve and I'll do this thing, make me feel better. Uh, I'm not really going to live for the Lord all week, but I'll give to that, make me feel better. God says, nevertheless, it's irrelevant. Um, if I could give it to us, how many, how many married people do I have? Married people, raise your hand. All right, all the married people. So I want you to consider married people that your husband or your wife comes home and they have a gift for you. And it's a, it's a good gift. I mean, in this box, they have paid close attention to all the things that you have hinted at and spoke about. And they have, they have a box with all these things that you're like, that's all the stuff I want. My favorite this, my favorite that. And I mean, this is a great gift. But as they present the gift, they say, but I've been unfaithful. Does that gift become irrelevant immediately? Because, you know, I'm now here's the thing. If you if we if we have a good marriage and you're faithful and I get the gift, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. You wonderful. Smooch, smooch. Hallelujah. Right. But if. You give me that gift and say, but I've been unfaithful to the marriage. I don't care about that stupid box. I'll be done, kick the box, broke the stuff. And, you know, it's irrelevant now. Right. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't care about all your service and your. I mean, that stuff's great if you were walking with me. But while I don't really have you, I don't care about you can't do enough to appease me if I don't really have what I want in relationship with you. And so we want to be careful not to offer God 
the sacrifice or the service without really giving ourselves to the Lord. Amen. It's more important if you're in this room and you're not saved, I would tell you, don't give, don't do something, don't serve, don't help. Give your life to Christ. That's more important. He would, that's what he, that's, that's the first order of business for us, that we would get born again, that we receive his sacrifice for our sins. That is more important than anything you think you could offer or to give. Now, when you get saved and you're born again and your sins are forgiven, now God says, man, flourish in service. Grow in your ability to, to serve the Lord and be used for the Lord. So we don't want to add good works to a rebellious life. We want to add our good works to a surrendered life. Amen. If you're writing notes, write down 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7 to us real quick. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. It tells us things that we can add to our faith that we might be fruitful in our knowledge of God. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, it says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, kindness, I'm sorry, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. I don't want to be barren or unfruitful. I want to be fruitful in my relationship and my knowledge of God. And so he says, add those things to your faith. Um, that, you know, we need to believe and then our lifestyle should also be moving with that. So moving on now, um, look, at what it, look at the rest of verse 20. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And he's going to get ready to list the issues. And this is where the, you know, the commendations end. And now the, the things that God is condemning, what is this church doing that's so wrong? What are, what, is the, what are they doing that God has a problem with? It's a few things. First, he says, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed by idols. So... In this church in Thyatira, I don't, I don't know that there was actually a woman named Jezebel, but there's a, self, there's a woman in this church that's a self-proclaimed prophetess. If you guys are unfamiliar with the story in, the, in, in Kings, there was a wicked woman. Her name was Jezebel. Everybody heard, we, all, we, we know the name is negative, right? Ain't nobody here going to have a daughter and name her Jezebel. I hope. I would, I would strongly discourage you if you let me know ahead of time. Don't do it. It'd be like naming a boy Hitler. Um, you know, we wouldn't name a girl Jezebel. So the Jezebel of the Old Testament was uh, a, a wicked woman. Um, she tried to use her marriage and her relationship to get things that she wanted. She tried to seduce God's people to, into the worship of Baal. And God calls this woman here Jezebel. Um, it says that what she's doing, uh, she says she calls herself a prophetess. So that's how we know she's a self-proclaimed prophetess. Um, she's not truly a prophet. There were women in the New Testament that were actually prophets. Um, there was a woman named Anna who was a prophet. Um, the Philip in the book of Acts, Philip, it said, had four virgin daughters who all prophesied. I've always thought that that was really cool. There'd be four sisters 
that all could prophesy that they could they could like tell each other like if they start dating a the guy they're like Mm-mm, I'm prophesying that he's not going to be faithful like I prophesy that one right there has got a good job a good future a faithful you know they can they can help each other out with that gift you know um, but they're so they're legitimate women prophets not this woman she's a false prophet she's a self proclaimed prophet and notice what she's using her fraudulent gift to do to seduce God's people to um, God said you to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So we believe there was a woman in this church that was falsely prophesying that people would be OK with things. Can I tell you guys that I see this today? Um, I was listening to a radio program. There's a pastor in Compton um, of a church and on the radio, this guy, pastor of a church, he's telling people that it is. It is, um, he said it, it is okay for couples that are not married, they should live together and they should sleep together. So someone called in and said, but the Bible says that's fornication. And this is what he said, pastor of the church. He said, the woman is saying this is what the Bible says. He said that is old and archaic. Like that's, that's not for today. Um, that, you know, that's, that's old school. That's how that's how your grandma came up. But that's not how it's supposed to be today. Pastor of a church like, you know, I, I believe that he's in huge because now imagine this. Imagine that someone goes to his church and they believe that he's correct and they live in obedience to his. Well, the Bible says no fornicator will inherit the kingdom. So anybody living in habitual fornication, they they're he's messing them up and they're walking their relationship with the Lord. Um now, God says that this Jezebel woman is doing that. Can I tell you how this relates to the Catholic Church? Um, it does in this way. The Roman Catholic Church, if you guys remember, it was an unholy marriage between the church and Roman government. Um, and I think that's why the, the name of Thyatira, it's a, it's a, it, it, they, they, it was an unnatural marriage that came. Uh, they came together. They tried to marriage, marry the church and the state together for political reasons. And so the priests would allow this. If you were part of the church, let's say you were getting ready to go to Vegas. Everybody knows what you do in Vegas, not what y'all do. I know y'all worship in Vegas, but with them, what other people do in Vegas, right? You could go to the church if you had enough money and you could say to, to the priest, hey, I'm getting ready to go to Vegas. I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm doing everything. Uh and you could do something, you could pay in advance, something called indulgences. Have you guys heard of that? You could pay in advance for the time you were going to have and go guilt-free to Vegas and do your thing and know that I am good with God because I paid for it before I went. Now, is, is this individual really okay with God? They've been lied to. The Catholic Church is $500 richer, but this person is not okay with God. That was a regular practice. That is seducing God's people. Because the fact that they were coming said that they cared. There was something of conscience that said, I, I know I can't just go do this. But to be misled or misdirected to think you can buy your way into, you could, you could pay in advance for sin. That was a regular thing that would take place. God said to them, this is what this woman was doing here in the church of Thyatira. And obviously God is not okay with this. They're seducing, he says, my servants. You're lying to my people misleading my people. So here's something I want you to all consider what a dangerous and scary thing it is to mislead God's people. That's not what you want to do. 
right? Nobody here. We don't want to be misled and we don't want to be misleading. What's my safety net from being misled or being misleading is to know the Bible. Spend time in God's word. Spend time with God. There's something, even, even if you don't know much Bible, can I, I believe the Holy Spirit will protect you. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to, he's to, he says he's to guide you into all truth. The book of Revelation lays out many things that will happen in the future. It can be unsettling to read about some of the things that are within the pages of this prophetic book. But God wants your heart to be at peace with what he'll bring to pass. Like in most stories, there's a great battle and then good overcomes evil. This is a great story of all time and we get to experience it with a loving but just God. So rather than disregarding this book as a bunch of strange imagery that seems non-cynical, be empowered reading this book, knowing that God's in control and that he will win. Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all these things. If you're seeking some assistance with where and how to read the Bible, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you read on a daily basis. Look on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through Revelation. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry in a financial way. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry is a blessing to you. We look forward to you joining us next time on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.